Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 2016 w, or uh, I saw the talk and then I was like hitting him up on Slack going, hey, what about this? And, what about, and finally at the point he just said to me, look, you know, you're getting to the point where you're asking me too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> Get away from me, kid. You bother me. You know? So hey, everybody, welcome to episode 199 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And the rest of the deadbeats can't be with us today. <laughs> Greg's off at a, uh, a meetup in San Francisco. Huh? Tommy's working too hard. Tommy's working too hard. He's got an emergency, whatever. And Tammy's internet's broken again. So hmm. oh, you're stuck with us. Um, so yeah, you, you just as far as our Ask MTJC, you got some follow-up or some shout-outs to give out there, Mark? Yeah. So I had a great time at uh, WWC last week, and I just want to give a shout out to a couple of people I've met who are listeners to the show. Uh, appreciate them stopping by, saying hello. And uh, so, hey to uh, Victoria Herrick and Ed Ehrenberg and David Sinclair. Great meeting cool. you all. Is that the three that you met? Is it, you only met three, three well, fans? Well, you know, or? there were more, but I, I can't remember everyone. Or so. Dan Beauregard. Dan Beauregard. Was oh, Dan Beauregard, too, of course. How could I forget him? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Of course. Did you meet um, Armstrong? Um, Should we should we re-record that so, so no, I it's forget Dan This this sounds better. <laughs> All right, it's more natural. Yeah. Um, and Adam, I think Adam Armstrong. Did you meet him? I don't think I met him. There was someone else yeah, named into... Alex that I, I didn't get the last name. Alex. Yeah. Hmm. Did he say anything about where he's from? No, I was talking to someone else, <laughs> and he was kind of there on the side. Uh, so I I didn't really talk to him too closely. So how many lucky lucky people got T-shirts from you? Probably like half a dozen. Really? Eh? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I gave a couple out to people who you know weren't actually listeners of the show but they were kind of hanging around when i was giving them out to 
some of these other people. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. happens. So they got one. Yeah, like, that's kind of the, sort of the thing with WWDC. People just have, like handful of stickers, and people just grab one. And, yeah, yeah. You know, sort of. The, yeah, people sort of love swag, whether they know what what it is or not, or care what it is or not, what it's from. Yeah, I mean, so just sometimes some. you get sometimes you get a new listener out of that too. So mm-hmm. that's why we do marketing. Yep, that's what this stuff is. All right. Yeah, we we have an Ask MTJC, but it's just uh, basically Greg and you. So uh, oh no, this is my posting because I was posting the, the event that you were going to be there. Yeah, Victoria was trying to was found out about it um, late, and she's like, "Oh my god, it was that yesterday." Yeah, yeah. She uh, told yeah, me I, she saw the saw the link after it had already happened. So so uh, it was good that she was able to to find me and get her t shirt. Sure, and she posted. I don't know if you like you're on Facebook at all, Mark, but she posted uh, sent me a couple of pictures, so I posted them up on our friends of the show page on on our Facebook page. So oh, okay, great. Yeah, go and head over there and have a look and see what she looks like, mm-hmm. uh, folks. Um, all right, so. Um, we have a couple of things here, um, so follow-up items, and it, we'll just steal Jaime's stuff. What the heck, yeah. right? He's not here. Yep. He's not here to defend himself. Um, so the first one is from Jaime. Was uh, basically Apple is quietly banning developers from selling and sharing user contacts, and um, so this is this is something Bloomberg noticed, and I wonder how Bloomberg noticed um, that they'd made a change to uh, the policy, I guess. And uh, so I know you know this is all follow-up on the Facebook, you know, uh, leaked users kind of thing, and so Apple is basically if they if they find uh, developers or um, harvesting user data and then selling it to third parties, they're going to ask them to leave the Apple Store. Mm-hmm. Of course, they can't do anything about the stuff that's out. But, you know, it's interesting, though. So on um, my backup machine, which is Carol's little uh, MacBook 11-inch, MacBook Air 11, um, I installed Mojave this afternoon. And oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So what, what, what I was really shocked and surprised to find out, and I'm going to throw Dropbox under the bus here, but um, is all of the, uh, what do you call this, uh, policy or privacy policy agreement, consent agreements that Apple's adding into Mojave as well as iOS 12 and 11. You know, they yep. keep every year they're getting stronger and stronger. Uh, Dropbox wanted access to my contacts, my photos, and one other thing, my calendar. Interesting. Why? I Why mean, the photos Dropbox I understand. Like a calendar? I don't know. But, Good question. Yeah, so I was a little surprised. Of course, they answered no to all three of those questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. again, I think there was another, another setting that I think uh, we talked about on the show in the past where they want to have uh, accessibility access to your to your device i mean i don't know i guess if you're if you're buying into the whole dropbox workflow that makes sense but uh you know we talked about it being a little creepy in the past but now it's good to see that apple has stepped up the the permission stuff on at least on mojave anyway yeah yeah no that's that's a good thing Uh, it'd be nice if they could patch that into into uh, high sierra as well you know yeah true now uh, along those lines i guess i guess apple must have published a new set of uh guidelines uh review guidelines and that's where this came from but one thing that they've also done that i'm a little disappointed by is is that they've they've banned any apps that do cryptocurrency mining oh and, yeah yeah we, we talked about this before that that right yeah, you yeah. Know, the that I, I can understand them banning mining if the user is not aware that it's happening that's actually that's a good thing to do but i don't see why apple's banning if you want to opt in to mining and and you know do that in return for getting access to a free version of the app or something like that i don't see why apple has to ban that that's i'm a little disappointed by that granted it's it's a pretty heavy computational load on the 
device, but I was going to say battery usage and stuff like that. Yeah, but if you as a user, you know, it's your phone, if you want to opt into an app doing that, I think you should have the right to do that, but oh well. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder too, though, Mark, if if people are really aware what they're opting into. I think that's the problem with how we've gotten to the state we're in today is that people aren't aware when they say, yeah, okay, whatever. True, true. They're actually, in fact, at one point, I I, I think I made an app once where I I had the okay button. The customer asked me to make it whatever. Oh, really? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Or the the okay button. I think one of them I made it, I put giver instead of okay, right? In fact, yeah, the Stromboy app has a giver instead of okay. Mm. But that's what the customer wanted. Anyway, it's funny. It's a Canadian thing. Um, Yeah. So that's uh, that's, uh, just kind of creepy. All right. Um, The next thing. Next thing is mine. It's a real quick one. I mean, like one of the things I think is kind of cool about uh, being on the Rayburn Alert team is how quickly we turn things around. And like within, this came out, I think it was this morning or maybe yesterday, but Audrey Tam over there in Australia has already cranked out the Create ML tutorial for the Rayburn Alert team. And uh, I think in this case, she's using the Turi Create, which I I, I saw the the, the, um, the session to, about Turi, but I wasn't sure what the deal was. But then I in her article, she explains that Apple acquired uh, Turi last year, right? Oh, okay. I was wondering about that too. Yeah, and so this ties into the IBM Watson service if you look at what she's um, utilizing here. I think, I don't know if she's trying to identify cats. Yes, she's trying to tell whether it's a cat or a dog, I guess, in the the example app. Uh, Yeah, so if you're interested in, in, um, if you run, of course, prerequisite, you need to be running Mojave and you need to be running uh, Xcode 10. Do you need, yeah, you need Mojave for this, right? Yes, to train, right? You need Mojave. What am I thinking? Um, Yeah, so if 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 you have a spare machine and you've loaded this stuff up, you can give this this tutorial a try. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of cool. Um, of course, you know, this is all um, developer stuff. So, you know, if you're not a developer, if you're not a member of the Apple developer team, you really can't do this. So you have to be, because you have to, you know, be, you know, under the auspices of Apple releasing, pre-releasing beta software, yeah. you have to be a card-carrying member. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I think anybody can be a developer these days, right? Without paying anything? Well, it's always been free to, to be a member of the developer program. Uh, in the past, you had to pay a certain amount in order to publish apps on the store. Right. Uh, right. And I, I think, think to build the to devices too. So, well, in the old days, you had to you had to have a paid membership in order to install to a physical device. Uh, but I think now that's not the case anymore. I think you can install to a physical device, but you still need to pay or have a paid membership if you want to publish apps in the store. Right, I right. think that's how it works these days. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. I think it's quick that we've turned that one around. I think there's also, if you're interested to, I don't know if I put it in the, let me just check my notes before I jump ahead and say something that I should say for later. No, yes, my mine's picked. There's another one coming later on. Hang around for the picks. <laughs> all I got to say about that. Okay, so Mark, you got well, oh, you got the one here about the um, the link here uh, about the cur- cryptocurrency yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, just a, a couple of quick things in the main topics here before we jump into Mark's WWDC experience is um, a post that I found last week. Uh, a team uh, has developed Swift for Android. So uh, I think one of the questions we had we asked when, and of course this is since um, they mentioned in the article that since Swift has um, is now open source, they they saw that they could go ahead and do this. And this is actually a an iOS team or a Mac iOS uh, team that uh, wrote an app called, it's an email app called Spark, I believe. I think it's on, yeah, Spark. I, I tried to get Carol to try and use it upstairs, but doesn't try, he hasn't used it yet. But I have it installed. I've looked at it a few times. And it's just an alternative to Mac OS Mail or whatever, other clients like that. There's an iOS version and there's a Mac version. And so what they did was they took this and uh, in a sense, they kind of uh, looked at how they could, um, they were trying to find a cross-platform language that they could use to create an Android version of their applications. And uh, so they found that, I think they landed on Swift being the, uh, the the choice once Swift became open source, as they say here, and they were able to compile. So I guess through the LM 
LLVM, which is low-level virtual machine, um, they can run that. And I think they mentioned that, yes, Google already makes use of this LM, LLVM. Is that, a, um, is that an open source it virtual is, yeah. machine? Yeah. Okay. All right. So they can, and, you know, because a lot of C and C plus in there, they're able to compile for using um, some of the um, open frameworks. Um, there's a bit of a Java, I think about Java in here. Or they're using Swift Package Manager as well, which is kind of interesting. I think people are waiting for that one. Um, there's an Apple Swift compiler, Swift Java, and Swift Android projects that they're making use of here as well. So, and of course, using Gradle, which is a, um, I forget what Gradle technically is, but they are using that to help compile and do builds. And um, yeah, so they've, they've got sort of a walkthrough and how they managed to get all the way through, including using XC Test, which is built into Swift for testing the devices or testing their code. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they got it running here, and they got support for ARM processors and so on and so forth. So yeah, cool. If you're interested, if you're on an Android team or you're thinking about it, maybe give this article a glance. I'm pretty what amazed that it all works. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that was one of the things we, we we talked about when we first postulated whether I think somebody had done had done a, a GitHub, GitHub project on uh, Swift for Android. And I think the challenge was how do you do the UI? Um, but that said, I mean, a lot of most of Android developers I know use um, all write their code, they'll write their UI in, in XML as opposed to supposed to using the GUI tools that they're they're provided with in in the Android Studio. But you, know, you still and, need uh, some kind of a library to, to access the yeah. I think UI that's the challenge, right? It's like yeah. how do you do your UI? So yeah, yeah, they're saying here UI kit not available. What did they do for UI? Doesn't really say. Yeah, it's sort of parsing. Um, yeah, but if you're on an Android team and you're interested, or you're maybe a Mac team or iOS Mac team, and you're thinking of finding a way to make this happen, this could be an article for you to read. Link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, my other uh, next point here is and sort of so I found a, a post here which talks about how to set up a partition. Like if you want to run Mojave on your on your main machine, but you don't want to totally invest in in beta software, maybe you need a, you have a day job or whatever. Um, there's an article, quick article here on how to create a a volume using Disk Utility. One of the nice things about um, the last couple of versions of HFS Plus and AFS is a, APFS is that you can um, do like a hot partition of your drive, right? Like like while the drive is while you're still without having to reformat the drive, right? Back in the day, you know, like five six years ago, you would have had to erase the, the entire drive to create new partitions. But now with the modern HFS Plus and uh, and I don't know when HFS Plus added this ability, but you, you've been able to repartition your drive. I guess the same was I guess around the same maybe that that uh, Bootcamp came out. That was the same sort of process for that. Hmm. Anyway, you can take a, a, a large drive if you happen. You can't do this on a little, you know, like my little laptops here, which only have, you know, you know 512 or whatever, or 256. Don't have enough space for this. But um, if you can split your drive into, in, in the example here, he's using a, a terabyte drive, splits it into two halves, and then installs the Mac OS 10.14 beta onto a second partition. That way he can play around with, uh, you know, you can hold the option key down when you boot um, and choose the, the Mojave partition, play around with it, check out dark mode, and then when you're finished, just reboot your Mac as you would normally, and it'll use the, the designated startup disk, which is probably your high Sierra disk. Yeah, maybe I'll try that with an external drive. Yeah, um, well, yeah, the um, I, I will say something about this. So, so being the fool that I am, I, 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 I was thinking I should do this with my with this machine here, but I, I just went ahead and did it with Carol's machine, and it was it was strange because it took me a couple of times to get the installer to run. I don't know if it's because it's a low like a low power machine or or just you know the way the installer works. You have to download a um, like an entitlement file that lets you get access to the Apple Store to get the Mojave download. Then I did the download, and then I had some issues. It wouldn't it couldn't quit some of the apps that I had running, or maybe the Finder was hanging or something. So it kind of just sat here for like you know twenty minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried again. I had to you know I hit the reboot because I thought maybe the installer would have already been installed. 
and that didn't work and I went through it again and then uh, it took a while where it sort of it went to the black screen you know with the with the progress part and it said like 35 minutes remaining and um, yeah it just took a it took a couple of couple of tries to, to sort of get it to stick and uh, then finally just looked at it you know about an hour ago and it said saw that it was Mojave and went whoa cool mm. so and that's of course when I got all those those Dropbox opt-in messages and things like that but yeah and and my you know I immediately tweeted out like I spent like maybe 10 or 15 minutes looking at different things in dark mode and yeah dark mode's cool I mean I, I didn't think I would like it as much as I do but it's kind of neat so have you watched the sessions on dark mode yet uh, I watched the yeah I, I did watch the sessions on um, adopting dark mode and how how easy that is you know you basically um, for those of you at home are wondering you, um, in the interface builder they've added a dark variant to your asset library so if you have an image that looks great on a, on a white screen but not so great on a, on a dark screen you can create a dark variant of that or get your designer or yourself to do it um, and that way like in the example they have like a, a, a the earth and the solar system so the earth look nice and bright on a white screen but it looks kind of you know vibrant on a, on dark mode so they find it they make a muted version of it for that and as well which something I think a lot of people didn't really maybe some people knew but nobody really realized that you can also create named colors and so you can have a dark mo- a dark variant and a light var- variant for whether you're in light or dark mode so mm-hmm. it's kind of I, when we're doing logo design and stuff like that back in, in the graphic we put my graphic hat on for a minute um, sometimes you create logos that are suitable for uh, like you have a company logo or brand or whatever you'll make us one for white back like one printed on white paper for instance and then you might have one that's a variant which is slightly different you know parts of the the actual logo itself might be different um, on a, when used on a dark background so that's the sort of same sort of thing like you know maybe you're if you're using a gray font it won't look good on white or you know or maybe too dark on, on gray on uh, black background you know kind of thing so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. part of your design standards you would do that so it's sort of and that's interesting this is the whole talk that Apple does on the uh, in the session um, a couple of sessions actually on that they talk about you know r- r- uh, design reasons why you would use different different variations like if you have a yellow yellow text on a on a dark ground and when you revert when you invert it it becomes white a white background and yellow and white doesn't look good so you have to darken up your your text color and stuff like that so yeah it's kind of cool I know like I said it's not uh, I had heard like if you have dark mode and you open up like a Safari browser it's like blindingly white but mm. I don't know I, I mean I mean I use my terminal I've always had my terminal in a, in a sort of the old uh, black background with green green lettering you know sort of thing mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't use my Xcode in dark in uh, in the midnight mode I use I, I never change my my Xcode I just leave it in default but who knows it yeah, might change yeah. I mean you just get used to like you know looking at colors I think th- everybody has a, it's a personal taste thing but everybody kind of uh, I get used to looking at you know what's a property what's a comment what's a you know what's actual code by looking at the, the colors, colors on the screen yeah, yeah. yeah but I don't think it takes it takes that long to adapt mm-hmm. one of the beauties of being human <laughs> yeah okay well I found this this other page here 50 plus it's a video video 50 plus uh, changes that were made in macOS Mojave and they go through the whole dark mode and you know the new gallery view in the finder where you can look at properties and metadata about you know assets in your on your Mac you can do things like in, if you open up a, a QuickTime audio or video you can actually trim it just like you would on on the phone right I think they've, they more than just you know the whole Mazapan thing we're talking about for those of you who don't know Apple demonstrated that they brought over four apps to Mac OS Mojave that are basically ported directly over from their iOS variants um, they uh, they've added some more features into the finder that that are more reminiscent of the kind of things we do on the phone like if you take a screenshot on your on your Mac now you get like a little preview in the corner you can tap on it and open it and crop it like you would uh, in iOS 11 right so I think there's more sort of under the hood sort of uh, marzipan kind of stuff that they've done right 
Marzipan, very German pronunciation, Marzipan. Mm. Marzipan? Marzipan? <laughs> Whatever, Marzipan. What's the Canadian pronunciation? Marzipan? I think it's mar- marzipan, marzipan, just like the American, Marzipan. But but my wife says Marzipan, which is the German pronunciation. Yeah. Uh. Because so, they have lots of Marzipan cookies at Christmas time. Mm. Yeah. So that said, Jaime's got a post here about Marzipan in Mojave. So the folks over at 9 to 5, this article we've got in the show notes here is a link about um, talking about how Apple has brought over stocks and the home app, which is kind of interesting to see on, on the, because the, I think, do we have home app on Apple TV? I can't remember. Do you have an Apple TV, Mark? I do have an Apple TV. Uh, I don't think the home app is on it. I think, I, actually, I, can't I think sure. it is because, is because the Apple TV is part of the home, the home, home automation thing, right? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I think, it's, well, I think the Apple TV is how I use my Apple TV. Yeah. I think in my, well, I've got my house set up. I've got a, I've got the August door lock on the lock on the front and I've got a couple of, um, those Phillips lights, you know, and they come on, uh, come on yeah. sundown, they go off at midnight. Um, I, I haven't used a key on my, on my front door in like a year and a half kind of thing. Hmm. I have actually, but, but for the 99.9% of the time, um, that's what one nine or two nines. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I use the, I use the August lock for that. Right. I've hmm. ar- argued with batteries and argued with August. And, and it's funny because, you know, I think I complained to August a number of times that the, the app never worked properly on iPhone six plus, but it works fine on the iPhone 10. Say, so, hey, I've forgotten the bug, mm. but yeah, they could never get the little button that you use press press on to open the unlock the door. So I've been using HomeKit to unlock my door all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I come home, I swipe down with my thumb, I open the home thing, and then I basically um, I can unlock the door. And, and as well, if I'm if I get a notification from my, if you, you can tap on the notification, and, you know, using a, uh, the force touch, you can go right to lock and unlock the door as well too. Mm. Anyway, but coming back to what I was talking about was part of this tangent was that I think the Apple TV is sort of the hub for doing that, right? Because it's always on, always connected to the network. So I can, like, I can be in San Francisco and, and unlock my front door for what mm-hmm. that's worth, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It happens. I mean, I sometimes, you know, have somebody coming over to feed the cat or whatever, you know. Not oh, that we have a cat get anymore. in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it, you know, also with the August lock, you can send them a key and they can, they can you know, temporarily unlock your door and stuff like that, right? I almost never but, go through my front door, actually. I always go through the garage because I have the oh, really? garage door open huh. in the car. Yeah. And so I pull into the garage and then I, then I have, there's a door into my house that I just walk into. Right. Right. So, so do we discuss whether you lock that door or not? <laughs> uh, well, sure. The door between the house and the garage? Yeah. Well, I mean, generally no, because the garage door is is the, the one that's locked. Can't, okay. So okay. if you can't get into the garage, you can't get into the house. But can I not walk up to your garage? Oh, I guess I can't. I guess, yeah, if you have a door locked, door, door yeah, open. No, you can't. You can't, uh, you can't just open the garage door. Right. Okay. Good. I'm glad you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so coming back to the story, yeah. So they, they ported over uh, stocks and home and... And I think was it iBooks and um, what else did they bring over? Wouldn't be iBooks. iBooks was already on Mac. Oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, or maybe they did it years ago. We just never noticed. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> what was the other one? Let's see. It was we mentioned stocks. We mentioned uh, HomeKit. News, news, news. Yep. And, and uh, I think there was one more. Anyway, yeah. so they 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 literally took the iOS variants and just brought them over. Cha- you know, added a few size classes, which apparently Mark was sort of happy about. Um, no, 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 not at all. No. Okay. Well, we no, talked about that last week. We'll come back. We'll come back to that one. We'll come back to that one. But anyway, so they took their nine to five app, um, which is basically a newsreader of their own, um, and ported that over as, as sort of an experiment. And they also have another thing, which is like a chat um, chat uh, image chat app that uh, with little um, avatars that they brought that over to. And, they, and in the case of the news, their news thing, they th- they had to you know unconnect some of the frameworks that don't that aren't compatible or, or can't be moved, like third party stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Again, what does Mark always say about third party dependencies? Blah blah blah. Yep. <laughs> 
um, they they moved this stuff over. So it, t- it took them an hour basically to move this stuff over. They had to like you know convert the code to Swift four point two and you know all that kind of stuff to make it happy on Mojave. Um, and then the, with the the ch- the Chip Studio, it's called no Chib Chib Studio. I don't know Chib Studio. They uh, it took them a couple of extra hours because there was more stuff involved in, in doing that. So, but they didn't. I mean, didn't sound like they were pulling their hair out to get this to work, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's I think there's a future in uh, importing our apps over to to Mojave. Yeah, which yep. is kind of cool using the Matsapan, which is funny because you know, like, you know, like of all people, I mean, Apple has always written really decent emulators, right? Like, you know, when we moved over from from back in '99 when the beta came out, we we were able to run classic, you know, classic environment under under iOS 10, right? And um, what else had they done before that? Uh, they had the what was a Rosetta thing? That was, was that from between, um, Power Mac to Power to, PC to Intel, right? Oh yeah, Power PC to Intel, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, they've always been able to sort of figure out, you know, I mean, because again, one of the arguments about Apple is they make the hardware, they make the software so they can figure things out, right? Not not to mention just the iPhone simulator uh, in Xcode. That's true. It's That's true. Yeah. Pretty damn good. I don't know if you've ever used the Android emulator, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's not as good. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Night and yeah. Day. yeah. I haven't personally used it, but I've, but I've been in, in demos with the, with the other parts of our team and yeah. Oh yeah. It crashed again. Let's relaunch it, you know, sort of thing. And then wait an hour. For it to launch, maybe it's not as bad. Yeah, now. I've heard that too. I've heard that it's much better. I think it's much better with. Uh, I mean, I've done a few. I've experimented with a few things in, in Android, but I've never really gotten past the "Hello World" or, or mm-hmm. you know, maybe putting a couple of labels on the screen and loading up a web view kind of things. As far as I've gone with Android development, but yeah, it wasn't super painful. But I can imagine if you're doing it day in day out, it might be uh, might be crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's weird, like the way the way. I guess it's not. I mean, it's. I guess it's a different thing. We always get all the emulator, all the different devices loaded up for us. Where is there you have to pick the oh, the OS you want to support and then pick yeah. the device and oh, whether it's a tablet or not that kind of thing right yeah mm-hmm. make sure eyes bleed <laughs> yeah um, all right so I guess we're at the the part of the show where we can I can start quizzing you on your your WWDC experience so yeah. I do know that you that you know we did uh, you you did manage to get into one of the one one or two sessions when we were down in I think twenty in um, at Moscone right Moscone West you're not supposed to tell anyone that oh come on. <laughs> What's the statute of limitations on badge swapping? Uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Actually, there were there were several people, and I won't name any names, that I spoke yeah. to at the show who were on a friend's uh, uh-huh. badge, including a couple of the Apple employees at the at the in the lab. So, oh really? Yeah. Oh, la- yeah. oh really? Yeah, which is oh. kind of surprising. There, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you know it's well, it's one of these things where like they're very strict about you know them, and and they, did they give you the warning if you lose your badge? Tough, tough luck you're out of luck right? yeah 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 that's that's kind of a stern warning i mean you know it's an expensive badge i mean like you know, lending to somebody yeah. else's yeah like i i got my badge signed by bill atkinson once and you know i, I would really be hard pressed to, to let it leave my cold dead hands you know mm, yeah and, and they were they were pretty uptight about you had to you had to uh scan the badge every time you went in oh really oh yeah wow. yeah and they had they had security guards at every every door to the convention center yeah. yeah yeah well i mean like like i said the first year i went first two years i guess i went there were security guards which are you know they're hired they're not they're like, they're like they hire a third party company as you do mm-hmm. um and then i think it was around 2013 maybe i think wasn't there like a paris bombing or something like that yeah that they started bringing the dogs in right oh really yeah because i remember i took a picture of one of the german shepherds at, at who had a badge right hmm. at uh, 2013 and posted like hey he, you know the dog can get a badge but we can't get a badge <laughs> kind of thing. actually so, i think there was a there was a dog there on the very first day 
day uh, before the keynote uh, yeah. when they were they were you know they were searching everybody's bags when you went in and yeah yeah, yeah. that was when the the line was you know around the block and it took forever to get in so but after that yeah. they they loosened up I guess <laughs> I guess if if Tim Cook's not in the session they they don't worry so much <laughs> well that's an interesting thing you know you say that because I as you know I've got a couple of friends who are no longer Apple employees who were working at, at they used to do the, the video transcoding right so after the session was over they would like work into the night trying to get these videos out for us developers for those of you who think it takes too long to get them it's a lot of work right mm, yeah um but they were telling me behind this behind like you know, if you, you know, i only know presidio because i've only been to that one but you know how presidio's got a big long curtain right yeah and behind presidio is a whole bunch of green rooms right and mm. so there would always be a green room for you know like vips like al gore and those kind of guys right yeah. and jobs had his own green room oh, yeah. and nobody went near that room like of not even course. the apple employees yeah. yeah you know so i mean like like you're you're i mean i know you were half kidding about the tim cook thing but i, I don't think you are really if you think about it right yeah yeah you know? i mean it, I, you know think think about what would happen if someone I mean, god forbid right if someone brought a bomb into the keynote session oh don't even say that yeah yeah and so i mean pretty much most of apple's top management is there so I mean, yeah oh yeah 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 and and investors and board board of directors yeah yeah if you watch them, if you go back and watch the videos, especially the keynote, if you look along the front row, you'll see all the players. Like Johnny mm-hmm. Ive would have been there, and you know, yeah. of course, yeah. Federighi would be sitting there watching Cook's talk, and yeah. you know, uh, Phil Schiller, I'm sure, was there. You know, all the people that you that you wouldn't necessarily see. You know, Angela Aaron, she was probably there too. You know, um, oh, that's, sure yeah, that's their shtick. Yeah. yeah, that's their shtick, right? I so. was too far back, though, but but uh, but I'm sure they were. One year, I went with a bunch of buddies from Intel who work in Sacramento, and um, they uh, their exact were sitting like you know 15 rows in front of us and they called they had a couple of spare seats and they called a couple of the guys from who were sitting who were in line with me all night you know we're near you know like every 30 or 30th or 40th person in line and they got to go sit up closer you know in that sort of vip area i don't know if they still do that at at um mchenry or not but um like did, when when did you head head down to the line did you head down early or no i got there around 8 30 or so right i meant and to be there did, earlier but uh the traffic was pretty awful so i meant to be there around eight. Well, it's Monday in San Jose too, though, isn't it? Well, yes, uh, but um, it turns out that my commute to the convention center was was really really easy. So it's it's a reverse commute. So from where I lived, it was taking me like ten minutes. Right, and, right. You know, compared to my regular commute, it was it was just a joy. But the very first day, the the just the road leading up to the parking lot for the convention center was just jam packed. So I actually I actually took an, an Uber down and oh, okay. uh, and ended up walking most of the way up just to, just because the traffic was so bad. Uh, after that, for the rest of the show, I drove down and, and it was easy. Just drove right in. No problems. So how far does the line go? And like, do they have like a cordoned off taped area for the line or does it go around the building? Or So uh, when I got there, uh, there was, I don't know if you remember how it's set up, but there's that whole courtyard in front, right? Yeah, yeah. So the line, they, they had groups of lines. It wasn't one continuous right. line. Uh, so there was one group, lo- group line all the way back back to sort of the end of the courtyard. Then there was another one down to sort of halfway down to the Hilton. And then there was another one that went down past. So when I got there, I was able to get into the end of the, not the courtyard line, but the next line. Uh, and 
15 minutes later, I looked back and the line was way down the street. So I don't know. I have no idea how far back it went, but I managed just by getting there at 830, I managed to get there, get a decent, decent place in line. Um, but I, but I suspect, so they were letting people in a, a few at a time. So it's possible that there were, that the line seemed shorter than it was because they had already let a whole, let a whole bunch of people in. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, that's probably the case. Yeah. When we were lined up at Moscone, they would, the, the line would go, would start, you know, on like, is it third or fourth Avenue? Anyway, uh, it would go up to, up yeah, I think to, it's fourth. Yeah. it would go up along, you know, fourth where the Metreon is, would go up that yep. side and then would go yep. around the back and then all the way around and then back over back to the, where the inter, the intercontinental hotel is. Right. Mm. And li- they would literally loop all the way around. I mean, the only difference was the media line was on the other opposite corner. Right. Mm-hmm. And I went once in as a, in, on a media pass. I should have tried, I should try that again, but, mm. um, you know, but, uh, the, they would let us in. So we would basically like, I, I knew people who started at like 11 o'clock at night and the guys I would go with would, would go and line up at three in the morning. Um, then yeah. I would join them around, you know, eight or nine. And then yep. I think, no, actually it must've been earlier than that. I think I would join them at six, right. Which is nine o'clock my time. Right. Mm. Um, so my brain was still, you know, <laughs> awake at that point. Yeah. Um, well, it's and, one thing, uh, if you're, if you're staying at the hotel right next door, it's easy to just go down yeah. early. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would say, I used to always stay at Union Square. So it was a bit of a walk, right? Oh, 10, okay. 10, yeah. 10, yeah. 15 minute walk. But anyway, so we would line up early, but around 7 a.m. they would let us in. And I think I think it was more or less to get us off the street, right? Because, mm. you know, San Francisco starts to heat up and, you know, I mean, like you know, traffic-wise and pedestrian-wise and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. They can't have all these, you know, crazy-looking um, developer triceratops, what do they call it? Developer triceratops um, lined up around the block. And um, so they would let us in, but, they would, but you know, Moscone has big, long corridors, so they would mm-hmm. line us all up along the corridors, right, mm. inside. And, you know, there was no running and people would run and, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but <laughs> um, you'd kind of, and then you'd kind of be hurdled, hurt, herded in and then, then you'd go up the escalators into Presidio at, you know, I guess just before the keynote round, I guess around, what's it, 10 a.m., right? Is when the, the talk is, yeah? Uh, did, they, yes. did, they, did they do that? They kind of staged you into the McHenry kind of thing or? Yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then <laughs> they were, they were doing staging for all the sessions, interestingly enough. So there were multiple, really? yeah, multiple lines that you would line up in and they would, you know, they would let one one line go and then the the next line would be over kind of in a I mean mostly next to it but in a different you know coming from a different angle into the hall and then they let that one go so yeah they so did they that would, for the lunchtime commutes upon so they would have they would do the same thing where they have different lines and it'd be like somebody standing there with a sign you know sort right. of saying this is for this hall or whatever yeah and they, they did the same thing for like the the like when J.J. Abrams talked or you know uh, who else did I see um, I didn't get to see well I think Michelle Obama was there last year right but, oh really um, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. and that one wasn't taped, um, but uh, or video t- uh, recorded. Um, they would, yeah, they would. I, I mean, so that was one of the things I, I sort of said to people about, about the whole experience. Is you know, when you're in line, you talk to the guys who are near you, and you talk about, you know, I always did. I was like, what do you do, and what do you, you know, what kind of app do you make, and mm-hmm. that's where the networking happens, right? Mm, yeah, that's um, to me, that's the biggest reason to go to WWC. Is it's you go to the events, you meet other developers from around the world, and you know, make friends with them. You know, so, I mean, there's a, there's a friend of mine on, I think his name is Rasmus Sten, and he's from, sorry, but I think he's from Holland or somewhere over there. And we've known each, we've followed each other on Twitter ever since. And, you know, um, he's, he tweets stuff and I retweet him. And so, I, you know, I mean, like, it's kind of like a, a guy I met in a line. I think we were actually walking to the hotel a couple of days before <laughs> WWDC is where I met him, right? So, yeah, it's almost like, you know, meeting a random person at Macworld and sitting at yeah. the table. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and of course, there's all the, you know, the famous people you run into like you 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 got to meet Greg Hio, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and he got to meet you. <laughs> yeah, Greg is kind of famous. Yeah, no, he, he's he's yeah. We were, we were joking about the last year. I, I didn't put it in the show, but yes, he was. He apparently appeared on another podcast. I listened to it earlier this week, but it's a couple of friends of his from from down there in the Bay Area. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, so and so, what did you think about like the general? The, so at the keynote, the room that you were in. Like, I, I mean, my again, my perspective is only with Presidio, which is not large enough for the five thousand developers. So they would, you know, you'd have to fall into a spillover room. But I've heard that. The big main room at, at um, McHenry is large enough for everybody. Oh yeah, there, there was plenty of room. Everyone got in. As far as yeah. everybody got in, it's a it was a big room. Actually, they had so there's there were th- there's three main halls, mm-hmm. and what they did was they they opened it up. So so I think all three they're all connected. So you, sure. there were people in all three, and they could just open some partitions in between, and it became one giant hall. So it was, it was pretty enormous. Do they have balcony seating like they do in theaters, or do they have like slope no. seating? No, it's. Uh, uh, I guess all it was. Flat? Yeah, no, it was all flat, as far as I remember. Yeah, hmm. yeah, yeah. I thought that, I thought I, I maybe. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the the one the the Graham Theater that they used one year in. in oh, the Bill uh, Graham Auditorium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that got, is, that's got slope seating, right? Or that's, balcony? That, seating, that's right? definitely got slope seating. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Not the Billy Graham Auditorium. The Bill Graham Auditorium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I said the Graham. I didn't say Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Billy first time. First time I heard it, but yeah, diff- yeah. different Graham. Right. That's well, the mayor Francisco, of uh, San Francisco. Bill Graham is. is is is, uh, is an icon and much more uh, much more in tune with the with the um, let's say the uh, philosophy of San Francisco than than Billy Graham would be. So he's was he the mayor or no 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 oh, the he guy was, from Castro he was, he was actually a uh, a concert promoter uh, who oh yeah from the Fillmore right right he ran the yeah. Fillmore Auditorium but he was also he he was the manager of of bands in the sixties the San Francisco bands Jefferson Airplane Grateful Dead oh really. Wow. And others. Yeah, he was their manager. Yeah. So he's a really influential guy in, in San Francisco. Um, unfortunately, he died. Actually, it was probably 20 years ago now, maybe more. Died in a helicopter crash, which is kind of sad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. That's kind of neat that they, they named it uh, named the place after, after an artist. But is, is it an artist-type venue? Like, is it, you go see, like, um, not music acts, but you see, like, ballets and symphonies and stuff there? I've only seen music? music acts there. I don't know what else okay. you can see there. But, but it's kind of your Massey Hall, in other words, right? Uh, it's not as common to see shows as it would be at Massey Hall. Seems like you know a lot of bands play at Massey Hall. Um, yeah, yeah. It's I, I wouldn't say it's like the top place for bands to go play in San Francisco. I mean, there's 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 places like the the Warfield is is probably the, the number one place. Uh, the Warfield Theater is a is a uh, converted movie theater that that's got you know huge amounts of history uh, in terms of you know bands have been playing there for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what did you think about the sessions? Like how were they managed? How were they managed? They were, like, well, I mean, like how? What was experience like? Blah blah blah. You know. Yeah, no, it was it was great. Um, you know, I, I, kind of like everyone else, uh, the the content was slightly underwhelming, especially when you compare it to previous years, like last year. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, there were so many great things last year, and this year it sort of seemed like there weren't a lot of huge big stories this year. Probably the biggest thing was was a series of shortcuts. Yeah, and, yeah. And that you know we we sort of knew something like that was coming.
even after the workflow acquisition, right? So that wasn't even super, super new. Um, but some really cool stuff in ARKit, this this multiple views on an AR yeah. session is, is mm-hmm. really pretty interesting. Create ML was pretty interesting as well. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I went to a bunch of the ARKit talks, a bunch of the core ML talks. Uh, they were good. I, I kind of felt like there was there was a lot of overlap actually between them. Yeah, they tend, that's one thing I've noticed too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they were good. Uh, and uh, there were some there were some cool new things. One thing that I that I almost didn't even go to the session, but I just said, what the heck, I'll go to it, was the network.framework talk. Oh, really? Yeah. And it turned out to be one of the best sessions. So, so what it is, it's it's kind of a low-level framework uh, for replacing uh, something called sockets. Uh, right, and yeah. sockets are, if people don't know, they're, they're a low, very low-level technology for, for doing networking, uh, internet kind of stuff. Uh, all the things like HTTP and TCP are built on top of sockets. Uh, and and sockets are a way of just making a connection to another machine out on the internet somewhere. Uh, so Apple has a new framework that's modernized and fast and and easy to use called the Network Framework. And they just there was it was just a real nice talk introducing it and and showing how it's used and giving some examples of it. So definitely worth checking out, even if you don't use it in your app. And you know probably most people won't have real reason to use it in your app if you're if you're just you know pinging a, a some web service somewhere to to pull down content. You probably don't need this kind of thing. But but if you ever need to do uh, you know real low level fast connectivity, this is the kind of thing to use. So pretty powerful. Mm. Um, what else did I like? I'm just looking through my list here. Um, one talk that I liked a lot. We were talking about this earlier. Tim was is the uh, I just watched the video. Actually, I didn't go to the session. Was was the was the debugging? debugging. Yeah, yeah, debugging the Xcode. Yeah, it was pretty cool. The actual name of it. So that was good. Um, I also liked another one that was that was good was uh, using collections effectively. That was kind of a nice one. Yeah, sure. I like that one too. That was a good talk. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I also liked. Uh, let's see. I like the fluid uh, interface one. I don't know if you like that one or not. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't really get into that one that much. Um, I, I found. I went to two of the design oriented ones, and I, I kind of found them a little too touchy feely for me. I mean, you're you're more yeah. of a designer, so it's more your thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. I don't think. I don't think those kind of. I mean, I, I'm glad that Apple does do those designer type things because I I do think that everybody on a team should go to WWDC, not just the coders, right? Yeah. Um, and yep. so, yeah, there should be business talks. There should be developer talks. Um, it used to be back in the day, they were even IT, um, you know, Mac administration talks. They don't do mm-hmm. those any at all anymore, right? Yep. Um, but, uh, and they had they had an event in September where they talked about class kit and all those kind of, you know, the new, the new stuff for education, right? Mm-hmm. They had their own little sort of mini, mini WWDC, if you will. Or it wasn't even W, it was sort of a technology demo. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see, what else did I like? Uh, well, I mean, there was two, there was building voice for Siri kit and there was yeah also I missed Siri that introduction. they were I the was, same because I, I I was accidentally in a different talk <laughs> oh yeah yeah I'll have to watch the video yeah, I tried to watch high performance auto layout I have to watch that one again for oh, I watched that reason. one that one was pretty good yeah I have to go back I, I it, it must have been it was time of day for me because well see so here's the thing like so the for you they start at nine in the morning for me they start at noon so I try and catch one at lunch and then I'd have to go back to work and like ignore whatever was the I'd only get to see one at nine I'd miss the 
10 and 11 ones. Yeah. I'd have to watch them in replay later. Like yeah. the next, it, it almost took like a day or two in some cases to get those back out. And then I would come yeah. home at 5, and 5 o'clock is 3 for you, so or just after after lunch, I guess, right? And I would I would basically watch a couple of those. And so high-performance layout was probably on around the time that I have a nap after dinner. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember it being a really good nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched, I caught it, you know, I made a couple of notes and then, then nodded off, right? So Yeah. Another one that was pretty good was optimizing your app for today's internet. That one was pretty good. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, some practical tips for using URL session and things like that. Right. Another one that uh, has fallen off the bus for me is uh, new and testing was good, I thought. I didn't I watch I that one. Yeah. You know, there's, there's definitely pros and cons of being at the show. One of the pros is that you're there, you're immersed. You're in the room, so you, yeah. So yeah. you go to the session, you're in the room, and you can focus on it. There's no distractions. There's no one from work calling you or, or family yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the downside is that if you if you get stuck in a talk that you know you're not so interesting in interested in, you can't just switch over to a different video very easily, uh, and you can't fast forward, and you can't stop and pause and rewind, and sure, you can't yeah. uh, you know you can't you can't catch up on videos in between. So so there's definitely pros and cons. So the big question is, did you get to see the embracing algorithms talk? I did not, but I heard it was good. Mm, yeah, well that was um, Dave Abrams. He's the guy that did the crusty talk. You know. Oh yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so crusty is back again this year. Okay. Two, three years ago, he was out. He, he introduced Krusty when he was talking about protocol-oriented programming and using that sort of as a trying to change the way we think about using Swift um, back in the day because people were still trying to, you know, use their Objective-C kind of hat, you know, with Swift tooling and it doesn't yeah. work. I mean, it works better if you just immerse yourself into the, the new flows. Um, well, this unless, one was... Unless you use UIKit. Well, this this one was... Yeah. No, I'm not, not talking about UI. I'm talking about, about how you how you write the code, right? No, UIKit. 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 Okay, yeah. You yeah. can't really use uh, protocol-driven programming when you're using doing a lot of UI kit stuff. Oh, okay. So you're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Um, but this one was more about the sort of the underpinnings of your of your loops and your while loops and for loops. And so he he talks about in sort of third person where he talks about himself being the the bumbling you know young developer and Krusty being the old curmudgeon who comes over and goes, no fancy debuggers for me or IDEs and that kind of stuff. And mm. um, so he talks about how to use the algorithms that are inside the standard library to basically oh my pickle's not that long hmm. uh, use this the standard library to uh, to find uh, um, built-in algorithms that can speed up your work or, or uh, reduce the complexity in your work so you're using more you know logarithmic kind of complexity as opposed to some of the like if you do for loops and while loops and have calculators in, in those you can actually make your uh, app more complicated than it needs to be right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that order of magnitude kind of stuff it's a good talk I mean you know um, I got a quote here from my friend Calvin Lau, who wrote the um, uh, algorithms book, Data Structures and Algorithms in Swift for Ray Wonderlich. He says he talked, I'm quoting him now, he says he talks about the importance of understanding algorithms beyond preparing for technical interviews. He goes through a case study on how misusing clean but inefficient code can critically impact the scalability and performance of your app. Mm. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, interesting. That one. Yeah, it's a good, good I mean, it's, it's it sounds like it's an algorithm thing, but it, it, it really isn't. It, it does pay if you know something about algorithms. Um, like, um, so the, the there was another one that was popular was the the playgrounds in Xcode. I found the introduction was very rudimentary, like because it was sort of like as if you've never seen. But they said that at the beginning, they've never seen playgrounds if you've never used them at all. But mm. then they go through some more of the new thing. They've got a new feature called Step by Step, where you can actually, as you write your playground, you can you can execute it and, and have it stop at certain places and continue on. So in the example, they, 
they were building a tic-tac-toe game and they kind of went through the playground and you can stop and start the playground and that kind of stuff. So kind of like having breakpoints in it, if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sort of work through, you know, an API or an algorithm or, or sort of a game mechanism or whatever as you go. And then there was a, the third part of that was, um, you know, using your own your own custom frameworks inside a playground to work things out, right? So mm-hmm. you know, how to use a workspace to build, uh, to bring in your, your, uh, your own frameworks and things and resources and so on and so forth. Kind of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you watched the Swift Generics one yet? You know, I did, and I was going to ask you about that one. Have you watched it? I haven't watched it yet, no. You haven't watched it? Okay. Yeah, I got about, I got, to be honest with you, I got about halfway through, and then I kind of, I kind of, my brain started to shut down a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll have to check it out. It's good. I mean, I, generics are kind of an interesting thing, and, and uh, I did make some notes, but um, yeah, I got to go back through that one again. He, d- he does touch on uh, the ABI stability that's coming up in uh, hmm. Swift 5, too, which is kind of interesting. He talks about, you know, how the, how all the way along they've been um, in, improving it, advancing it, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he talks about, um, talks about generally what generics are and, and some of the tricky things about generics, you know, um, when you pull out something or you, and you, you one, I think one bad habit, I think it was just from this talk, he talks about not, uh, or no, it was in the Krusty talk where he talked about not casting, if you if you need something to be an, inter- an in- integer, don't cast it to an integer in the return type kind of thing. But anyway, long story. Yeah, so, it, and, but in the, in the Swift generics, you talk about protocols again and associated types and um, why it's better to use the word element as opposed to, you know, just the T is a, a significant because it actually is an element, you know, T is short for element. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and then it goes into conditional conformance, which is where I started to shut down. So to go back and refresh that one, that one takes a couple, of, some of them take a couple of attempts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some talks are like, you know, I, I always find with WWDC sometimes it depends on the presenter too, right? Sometimes yep. some of the talks are a little too um, practiced, you know, yep. too rehearsed and you're not really, you don't, you sort of, they sort of skim along the surface and give you the sort of the gloss on the candy as opposed to the, you know, the chewy center. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, sometimes talks can be pretty dry because it's yeah just way too much uh, either detail or just, um, yeah. you know, small. I'll be, I'll be honest. The first time I saw the introduction of short, short series shortcuts was, now that one took me a couple of times, a couple of attempts because I mean, and, and no offense to the, the presenters, but um, you know, in this case, the, the first presenter is Arya Weinstein, who's the guy who basically developed workflow, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who won the Apple Design Award and all that kind of stuff, and now he's an Apple employee. And then they had another Apple employee do part the second half of that talk, and I found between the two of them, the presentation style was so different, it was mm. sort of sort of hard to follow. I did that one a couple times, but uh, yeah, what's new in Coco's Touch? I missed uh, Eliza Block is usually there, but she wasn't was just, there uh, for some reason. Yeah, yeah, they didn't say why, but so yeah, Josh Schaefer did the whole thing by himself, and that that's that. Again, like what you were saying, though, like last year. Last year, I remember that talk being so packed with stuff that I had yeah. to watch it a couple of times for sure. But this year, it was, it was I, I get, again, it was like more, and they, they did say this going into WWDC, that it was going to be more about stability and performance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then they kind of did that. And so part of what he talks about is is uh, you know, working with the auto layout with uh, sibling independent views, independent views and independent sibling views, and how now the uh, iOS 12 treats them more logarithmically as opposed to exponentially in terms of complexity. So you can, as they scale, they don't get, you know, they don't slow down. 
Mm-hmm. And I think you've sort of pointed out that sometimes a really complicated storyboard can drag you to can your Can really knees, slow right? you down, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, another one that was kind of interesting uh, was the new logging stuff. I mean, I, I guess oh, yeah, I, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the talk itself, uh, I have to admit, was a little bit dry and slow, uh, mm-hmm. but the content was really cool. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to start using this myself. It's a, it's basically a new, a new way of, of doing logging that uh, lets you set uh, you know, waypoints and measure times and things like that. And then all the data is collected in instruments. So you, right. you can set all these logs and then run instruments and, and then see the results of, of all your logging and see how long things took. And, and uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's nothing that you couldn't have done by just manually logging stuff to the console before, but it seems like this will make it much easier and much, much uh, cleaner and, you know, a, a much nicer way to collect the data and, and view the data. Oh, yes. OS log, OS underscore log. And yes. OS dot signpost, I think was the other one, right? Yep, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, those are those are kind of neat, and and um, yeah, because I mean, it's kind of caveman debugging when you're using when you're doing the debugging right in the console and just stopping. But what, what, again, coming back to the the uh, advanced debugging one, what was really cool was was they kind of went through how to you know beyond just stopping at a breakpoint and looking at the value that's in the property, mm-hmm. you know, using some of the was it expression yep. expression command yeah, to basically lets you, set a value, lets you change right? values, and the most interesting thing that I, I didn't even know you can do is is inject mm-hmm. actual code. Yeah, like setting a delegate, which I always forget to do. <laughs> well, yeah, there was one trick where where if you if you have a line of code that does something, but yeah. you suspect that there's a problem there, and you want to just not execute, so say it's calling some function or whatever, if you want to not call that function and do something else instead, you can actually do that. You can. There's a way to set a breakpoint where it skips a line. Uh, right, yeah. And, yeah. and in fact, uh, you can Move the 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 pointer the ad, the uh, what they call it the address pointer yeah. whatever they call it. Um, yeah. You can actually if if so if the if the debugger is stopped at a certain line of code, you can actually move the execution point of the code to somewhere else. And they yeah, want it's, it's pretty dangerous. <laughs> it can cause your app to crash. Uh, but but it's actually pretty cool. You can have it skip around to to just completely go to a different place in your code and begin continue executing there. That's pretty cool. So and but but another thing you can do is you can have it just skip the one line that you aren't interested in and, and inject a whole new line so you can say call the function with a different set of parameters or whatever you want to do uh, i thought that was very cool sure. the other one was um was the um yeah you talked about using po command a lot um yep. but the, the one was oh setting waypoints right is it waypoints are called it the new thing they added in where you i'm just looking at my notes here watch points watch points mm. um where you where you can you right click on a property and like suppose it's true for instance right and you want to mm-hmm. find out a situation where it's false but you don't know when it's going to return false in right. the whole run loop right so you put a waypoint and you say i want to know when it hits false right so you can run through watch your point. whole app watch and it'll, yeah. it'll break at that spot when the value becomes false yeah yeah. So, so you can sort of, you know, if you want to test a specific condition, like maybe an, uh, an error scenario or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things I talked about was sometimes you, you may be running something and it may be running perfectly perfectly well the whole time and you never hit that edge case where it, it fails right. or gives you the wrong value or comes returns nil or whatever. Um, and that's what whole this whole thing was about was, was sort of f- figuring out how to put a breakpoint in. And then I love the part that you can actually change values and change your code without actually having to hit build and run yep. again. 
again. Yep. Right? That was the cool part. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of stuff on view debugging in that one, too, which kind of, like, yeah. kind of I think yeah. is an interesting thing. And so in, in uh, Derek Slander's book that I was telling you about earlier, um, he's done a couple of talks at, at, at Ray Runner, like where and they, they showed some of this stuff where if you want to find out what's going on inside a framework, you, you of course, we don't have the, the implementation code, so we have no idea what's going on. But so you can but you can stop on the, on that call and then you can use, you know, the, uh, the structure of an object C message sent to look at the arguments. So mm-hmm. the first one is the actual object. The second one is the selector. And then the, the ones after that are, are the arguments that are passed in. And you might have to cast them to make them like to, to show it's a selector or whatever. But but you can look at what the values of each of those arguments are and kind of like, you know, reverse engineer, if you will, um, what's going on in that at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of kind of interesting way of looking at uh, things. And I mean, just sort of the, the bag full of tricks, these two to uh, Chris Miles, who's um, uh, one of the managers on the, the debugger team uh, and uh, another, I forgot, didn't get to catch the name of the other guy, but uh, Chris Miles was the guy last year. I don't know if you remember the one where he, he was talking about using debugging and he opened Xcode in Xcode. Mm. So he's, and his his joke at the time was, we use our debugger to debug our debuggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, cool, cool stuff. So yeah, that might've been the most useful talk actually all around. Just Yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 for stuff. sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. When I, when I first saw Derek Slander, I didn't see him talk. I saw the video afterwards of his talk on um, reverse engineering. He like this is going back to like I think. 2016 w or uh, rw.com i saw the talk and then i was like hitting him up on slack going hey what about this and what about and finally at the point he just said to me look you know you're getting to the point where you're asking me too many questions yeah <laughs> get away from me kid you bother me you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah, fun yep. yeah so that was cool and yeah. so so what about the lunch and learn stuff i didn't i haven't seen any of the stuff that was uh did you go to any of, the, any of those sessions lunch and learn the, they weren't yeah they weren't the lunchtime sessions you know the ones you grab your sandwich and you go back up to the main room and they have a oh, they come and do it yeah yeah well it, they weren't really grab your sandwich kind of talks i mean they were they were just talks in the main hall right yeah so it was there was it, there was time for lunch and then and then those would start uh so i went okay. to one of those i went to the one on uh archaeology from space which was kind of cool oh how was that yeah yeah it was pretty cool um basically it, it was a professor who her she's an archaeologist archaeology professor that uses satellite and drone photography to to uh you know to look at uh features on on, on the surface of the planet uh and find things that you that you just don't see when you're when you're actually on the ground and she's got kind of a a cool online community essentially where people can start looking it's like anything else you know there's so much data that that it's hard to analyze all the data so you can log into this thing and participate you can they'll give you like a little section of a, a photograph uh, a space from space photo of a, of a section of, of earth or land and you can look at it and see if you can find stuff and you mark it and they and they kind of use a crowdsourcing approach where they'll give the same section of of the earth to multiple people and if a certain number of them all mark a feature as being potentially a thing then they say okay that's probably a real thing and then they can send out wow, an archaeologist cool. actually there to go check it out pretty cool stuff Neat. yeah yeah cool um oh, who was the the last keynote speaker did they there was none really yeah huh. oh yeah no they had sessions going right until five o'clock right uh on friday not, not five o'clock but uh pretty close to it the last session was at 3 20 until four o'clock four o'clock was the last session yeah so i think la- the last couple times i went they always had some some keynote kind of person yeah, at the end that, that's kind of a standard thing at, at this kind of conference i was actually kind of surprised 
surprise because there was nothing and the session ended and it was just, oh, it's done. That's okay. it. You're over. Yeah. What, you know? <laughs> yeah, we had Stormtroopers the one year, the last year, the time I went, 2014, because um, I've forgotten his name. The guy who, the, the, the guy who created the uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, mm. cartoon series, right? Or TV series. Um, he, and, and the, you know, the, I don't know if it was Disney or Skywalker Ranch or whatever, they had guys dressed up in Stormtrooper outfits and, huh. you know, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting, really interesting talk, but uh, yeah, like I said, J.J. Abrams was there one time for a lunch wow. and learn. No, and, we, we uh, had no celebrities this time. It was kind of huh, weird. Kind of disappointing in that sense. Yeah, and then, you know, usually they have a lab running, because I mean, one year, that was one year that you and I, you know, we were on, you were on my phone and we were talking mm-hmm. to the guy, yep. the calendar lab, right? Um, so there were labs going the whole time. There were tons of labs. Yeah, yeah. I went to a couple of those, um, mostly, you know, just work-related stuff, so can't talk too much about them, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. Those were kind of good, yeah. Did they have, like, did they have, like, a whole lab area, like, where they had different, like, a UI lab and a core data lab? Yeah, so a... they had two big sections. Uh, one was the sort of the drop-in labs, where you could just go and sort of walk up, and sure, the other yeah. one was the make an appointment and, you know, get your app critiqued or whatever, and also the oh, yeah. podcast lab, yeah. area was over there as well. Right. But for the, for the drop-in ones, they were kind of rotate. They had about a dozen different partitioned areas, and they were rotating, yeah. you know, different topics, and, you know, they would, they were, so so each lab would go on, each topic would go on for a couple of hours or something like that. You could right, do right. Yeah. yeah, and they were scheduled, and then we, we saw them in the schedule here for yep. even yep. those of us at home saw them. Those of you driving cool. at home. Those of you driving at home, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. yeah. And did you go to the password autofill one at all, or? Uh, I did not go to that one, no. No, I didn't. Yeah, that's the, other, that's the other problem with, with WWDC is there's there's four sessions at a time, so right. you can't go to all four of them. You have to choose one. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, at, uh, at uh, Moscone, I used to, if I go, if I went into one and it was kind of boring or dry or, or didn't, wasn't what I expected it would be, I'd kind of yeah. duck out and run into the one beside it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did that a lot and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Cool. Yep. And you didn't go to the bash, so there you I go. I did go to the did you bash. Go to, any, go to any of the evening events or did you just go home and watch TV? Yeah, <laughs> I went home and didn't watch TV, but I went home. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's, I, I found out that's another, that's another unexpected side effect of, of being in this, living in the city. City where where the conference is, you know, mm-hmm. when you're traveling somewhere and you're staying at a hotel, uh, you go to the show and then you go back to the hotel and what do you do? You do, there's nothing to do, right? So you, you you go out to the to all the events and everything. Yeah, yeah. But when you live in that town, you know, I, I would go back home after the show and then you know, I once I got home, I wasn't going back out again. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, you're right. I would go to my hotel room and we would like what well, we you know you'd make an appointment for lunch or dinner with somebody and then you would yep. go off to an event or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because we had NS North here in Toronto, and I went to some of the events afterwards. Like, we went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, of course. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of after after events. But, you know, like, when I, whenever I went to WWC, I would go to the big the big nerd ranch, would have a trivia night, and Jim Del Rumpel would do, uh, would do like, a music night. Yeah. Um, there, the big, party. big Nerd Ranch didn't do anything this year. Uh, Jim Del Rumpel did, and I meant and to And James Dempsey and the Breakpoints I, had a party, yeah. Yeah, they did too, uh, but I, I didn't go that one i meant to go to the couple of them and then and just you know got too lazy and didn't go <laughs> uh-huh oh, well. yeah all right well good time was had by all right yep yep so was it was it money well spent do you think i think so yeah i mean i would have yeah. liked to have seen a few more you know uh e-ticket events if you know what those are uh no i thought i thought you'd be old enough to know what those are young people have no idea what that is uh disneyland used to have the uh the the ticket you'd, you'd buy tickets for rides and they were rated yeah. you know, oh. E and the best one.
ones were the e-tickets, the best rides. They're rated from what? G to E? I think it was A through E. And the A A ones were the cheapest ones. It was like the the teacups, you know? (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, And E would be Some of those teacups go pretty quick, man. Yeah. E would be Space Mountain. So the e-ticket rides were the best rides. Uh, I see. They don't do this anymore, but they used to do it like that. So e-ticket is like the best kind of thing, the best kind of event. So I've never been to Disneyland, so I wouldn't know. Oh, really? We have, like, we have our Canada, we have our CNE here, and I think they used to do it by the number of tickets you bought were, like, if something was like a three-ticket event or four-ticket event, but we never had an expression for, like, e-ticket. But mm. there you mm. go. Learn something new every day. Yeah, there you go. So it was an e-ticket event, eh? An e-ticket event is uh, is the top of the top of top the, of the, top. the very best. The primo yeah. primo. All right. Yep. Well, I guess we should uh, move to our picks now since yeah. uh, getting on in time here. Yep. So I have a couple. Uh, do you have a pick at all this week? Or? Uh, I, I'm going to steal Jaime's. Are you? Okay, cool. All right. That's fine. So I'll go first. So I, I alluded to the fact that I had another pick coming up and I didn't want to spoil it for people. But again, uh, uh, oh, this is this is a different one, different pick. This isn't what I was thinking it was. Um, this is Ole Bergman, I think his name is. Let's have a look here. Yes, Ole Begaman. He, uh, last year he did a What's New in Swift... <laughs> um, and it was a playground and uh, walked through all this sort of stuff and again he's done it again this year what's new in Swift 4.2 and it's a playground again you can download it and try out all the new things that are inside of uh, Xcode so here I'm reading off the Google Google page you know the uh, the bool toggle uh, sequence and collection algorithms he's got some enum enumerating enums random number generators um, or dealing with random numbers I think those are built into the uh, um, language now uh, hashable uh, conditional conformance enhancements, uh, dynamic memory lookup, error and warning, um, you know, pound error, pound warning, uh, memory layout stuff. Uh, yeah, an immutable, unsafe pointer for the people working with C stuff and mm-hmm. C++. Um, so that's that. But in, under the same name, what's new in Swift 4.2, that's where I was sort of going with this. I, I kind of messed up my own pick, but uh, the folks over at raywonderlick.com, I think Cosmin Papa is his name, has written an article called What's New in Swift, and he turned that around in a couple of days um, to sort of go through from the Ray Wonderlick point of view what, what is new in Shiny in Swift 4.2. So take a look at that. We'll have links in the show notes to both of these. Um, then I always like to pick a designer app. I, um, I was watching the Core ML talk and one of the Core ML talks and they mentioned Pixelmator, mm-hmm. Pixelmator, which I've I've heard of many times before, but I've never looked at Oh, looked I have at. it on and the Mac. Yeah, it's, so it's well, there's two versions of it. Let's, let's talk about that. For, so so I, I, I checked it out. Um, pick, they were talking about Pixelmator Pro, which I think uses CoreML in in it now, right? Um, but because it does, um, it does. Well, what's the word now? Uh, you can actually mod, you can basically render a whole drawing and use all the tools, and it it doesn't change. Uh, what's the name for it? Uh, it's the terminology for it. Anyway, so I downloaded Pixelmator for iOS on my iPad Pro 12.9 inch and played around with it, and like within 10 15 minutes, you know, just playing with the tools, playing with pencil, playing with water watercolor, playing with oil paint, playing with the layers and stuff like that i'm totally so and some of the filters and distortion things yep. um for 4.99 it's a steal at 4.99 yeah because i'm looking for something to replace photoshop eventually mm-hmm. right let me just go to the pixelmator the thing. mac version I mean, it's a little more expensive than that it's i think it's 40 bucks or something like that uh but yeah. you know compared to it, it's it's probably a tenth of the price of, of photoshop yeah so yeah and, for sure you know in, unless you're a super 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 pro expert user and maybe even if you are that 
I, that no, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it does everything that Photoshop does, as far as I know. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of sort of the the where the rubber meets the road. But um, uh, well, the Mac version. I'm sure the iOS version is limited. Yeah, I'm looking for this terminology. What is it called? Here's the one I'm looking for. Non-destructive. That's what I'm looking for. You can make changes to your images in a non-destructive way. So you've always got your like kind of like like the Photos app does. There's always the original masters kept somewhere, and you can go back in and play with things. Sort of like that's what a PSD file format does as well. In Photoshop, you have all the layer effects and things like that, and you could turn them on and off, and you know you can always get back to the undo things and uh, or turn them off and redo them or whatever. Um, yeah, that's because that's the kind of stuff I do when like you know when I'm messing around to make an image for the for the podcast, I'm always in there cloning and you know merging things and drawing on them and so on and so forth, right? So that's what I use. I personally use Photoshop for, um, and that's kind of what I'm looking for something that will replace that. I've looked at a few of the other tools, especially on. I like to try them out on iOS first to get a sort of sense for them. Yep. Um, and there's two versions. So there was a Pixelmator, and then there's Pixelmator Pro, which is a new, which is the new updated version. I think they released this as the Pro version as a way of getting around the up no update uh, pricing on the Mac App Store. Right. Mm. Um, it's not available for download. You have to buy it through the Mac App Store, um, which is a drag for me at work because we we don't have access to the Mac App Store right now. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, this is and when I look when I uh, so can you go to the Pixelmator Pro or Pixelmator.com site mark and click on the buy button and tell me what your price is because my price is eighty nine dollars uh, on the App Store or their website. So on the website it says fifty nine ninety nine, but when I when it converts to me it's eighty four ninety nine Canadian. For so me it's eighty four ninety nine US American American. Yeah. Oh wait. A minute. So I'm getting wait it, a minute, I'm getting different. I I clicked on your link so maybe I'm looking at the oh yeah I'm looking at the Canada site. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I could just switch that to All myself. Right. Let me try that. Uh, let me huh. go into my own US app store here. Hold on. Yeah, I usually strip the CA out of the links when I put them on the show, but not always. Apologies yeah. to people if I forget that. What do you get? Uh, $59.99. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess, I must, that must be the conversion right now, I guess. Um, and let me see how much the regular one is. Oh, I own it, so it won't tell me what the price is. Oh, no, $29.99. Okay, the $39.99 was the Canadian price, so $30 bucks for, the, for the regular one. Yeah, because the Pixelmator version is here as well. So, But, like... Pixelmator is the is the sort of version 1.0. As far I was trying to read about it online in some of the forums, but the, apparently the Pixelmator Pro one is the one that's got all the the fun stuff. I think that I think they might have won an ADA last year. Yeah, I don't. Know. I've had I've had Pixelmator for years. It's not yeah. It's not new. Um, so do you have the Pro version or the? No, I have the regular version. I didn't even know there was a Pro version. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it looks like last time it was updated was 2017. So maybe they have moved on to the Pro version now. Well, this one's also 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah. This current version. It was version 1.1.1. No, sorry, I'm, not, I'm sorry. It's June 11th, 2018. So it just got updated a couple of days ago. Mm, maybe it's so I'll have a link in the show notes for you people. Yep. Give it a shot. All right, Mark, you're going to steal Jaime's pick? I am. Uh, I got to go see what it is here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Good. So it looks like uh, there is a new course from our friends at raywonderlick.com mm-hmm. uh, all about uh, doing server side Swift with Katura. Cool. Yeah, yeah. my new buddy at, uh, from IBM wrote that one. I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. There. Yeah. That's him in the picture there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. You know, I, I haven't gone through it yet, but uh, it looks like if you know if you're interested in server side Swift, it looks.
looks like uh, might be the place to go to check it out. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dave Akun. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Actually, he's a, a. Did you meet him at a startup or something in the Bay? I think I met him at a meetup. Yes. Yeah, because he's been at Ray. Run, he's been at RW DevCon. And actually, last year I met him when he was just a fan of the show, mm. and he wasn't part of the team at Ray Run like just yet. And uh, this year, I actually sat next to him a couple of sessions. We did a session on what we were doing one on I think on machine learning or something like that, and we had to take pictures of the people around us to determine whether or not they were a person or not. I think it was mm. the course mm. again taught by Audrey Tam, who just we just talked about at the top of the show here, yeah. and he was sitting next to me. So I have a big smiley uh, picture of him. Mm. <laughs> Lots of teeth. So, and this is a this is a free video one. Well, I think right. This is it. The whole thing is free, or just the introduction? I don't know. Free. I don't it's know. Like you tell me. Quite a, quite a few pieces here. Yeah, he posted today that it's free. Let's see. I'm logged in, of course. So yeah. if you click on, oh, it's just uh, yeah, it's just the one link. Hello, Terra, right? Because part two is not a link, and part three is not a link. So when you click on it, or can you go through it and see the video, Mark? Uh, which video? So if you look at the part one, Hello Katura, yeah, it takes you to a video page, right? Yes, it does. Yep. And there's the intro. So if you scroll down through the the, the bottom there, it'll show you whether or not. Oh yeah, part yeah, so two is not available yet. Right. Sprayed out. Right. So and these these well appear to be free, which is yeah yeah. Mo- sometimes they're for subscription only, right? But uh, yeah, these look like they're all. Are you are you able to access all the nine videos there? Ten looks like it. Nine videos. Yeah, looks like it. Cool. Yep, they're all marked free and cool. clickable. Yeah, there you go. So that's cool. Yep, good stuff. I wonder what the deal is with Katura. Do you have to, is it that's IBM hosted, right? Yeah, that's the IBM server server side Swift solution. Yeah, part of mm-hmm. Blue Bluemix. Do you have to make a, an account over there? Do you think if you want to deploy, yes, you need to you need to have a Bluemix account to deploy. Yes. Right. Right. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So, Mark, if All people right. want to get a hold of you, where would they find you? Uh, you can send me an email at markr at spapsoft.com. All right. And my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and you can find me on the Twitter machine under that handle. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Right. Bye. Bye. This concludes another intriguing, insightful, and inquisitive episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm friend of the show and sometimes host, Greg Heo. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find all the details on how to help us out on our website. That's mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, eh? So went and saw Paul Simon again last night. Oh, yeah? How yeah. was it? It was good. Well, I mean, you know what? It's funny. I saw him with Sting two tours ago, two Sting tours ago. Yeah. And uh, it was it was an interesting thing. I didn't really, I didn't really know that he toured that much, um, Paul Simon, right? Like, yeah. Sting, com- Sting comes around every year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of weird because they went back and forth and they did, you know, different songs. Like, they each did, they, I think they sang some songs together and some separately. And it was really interesting to see. But, like, Paul Simon, to me, is like, he's like, it's like a 
was telling Jonathan, Jonathan took me for Father's Day uh-huh. yesterday. But it's like, you know, in terms of Canadian or American artists, he's sort of the Picasso of America, you know, in terms of like, you know, he's like John Bob Dylan's the same way, like, you know, just an American poet laureate kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. even the songs that I didn't know and never heard before. And, you know, so technically they sucked because I'd never heard them before. They were quite eloquent. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it wasn't really, you know, the sound was eh, okay. I've heard better, but, but Where I mean, it? like, you know, was it at Massey Hall or no, no, it was actually, what? actually at our, uh, our ACC or Canada center, which is oh, like okay. a big uh, hockey stadium. Right. So, yep. you know, and it was, kind of, it was accurate, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. If, and, and it was sort of more like the kind of, I saw Joe Cocker play years ago mm-hmm. and it was more like Joe Cocker's thing was something I would expect to see it like at a casino. You know what I mean? Like we have yeah, a couple of yep. casinos here, you know, they're sort of, they're almost, almost like they're almost wearing taxes on stage kind of thing, you know, like very sort of formal and they have brass sections and stuff like that. Right. So mm-hmm. it's definitely geared towards the, the hippies from the sixties, the folkies from the sixties and the, you know, the people from the nineties and, you know, he played a lot of the stuff off of the uh, Graceland album. Right. Yeah. Of course. Probably that was his biggest, his biggest thing. Well, I'm, I mean, you know, I was surprised when I saw him like that, but this was his farewell tour. So you could just imagine what song he ended with. Right. You know, Oh, this is his farewell tour. This is his farewell tour. Yeah. He's, this is, oh. he's, he's hanging Well, he's hanging them up as far as st- stadiums go. I mean, he's probably going to play in smaller clubs in New York and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I should have gone to see him then. Hmm. Oh, was he, was he coming around? You got your way? Yeah. I, I saw, I saw his name pop up. So uh, actually I don't even, I don't know if he's come yet or is, or already mm. came. I, I don't know. Right. Um, right. Okay. So wait a minute. So last song that he would play would be, uh, <laughs> does he have a goodbye song? Like bridge over troubled waters or something like that? Well, he sung that in the middle of the show. So okay. and I, I was, wasn't expecting to hear that one either. Cause that's, that was an art girl Funko song. Right. But yeah, yeah. The, again, but again, he wrote it. Said, poet. Yeah. Homer, that's what I mean. Like poet laureate. Hmm? Homeward Bound? He played Homeward Bound just uh, before this one, yeah. Like he, ended, he ended up on the stage by himself with a single spotlight, you know, played yeah. like two, three songs by himself. Really hard to videotape. <laughs> you know, or videotape yeah. me on my phone. With, like, I, I, can't, like, I can't figure out which one you're talking about. That's his last one. Well, song. let's put it this way. I studied this song in English class in high school. Sounds of Silence? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of like, that's his masterpiece, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That I had an American like, tune. Huh? It's another uh, American tune. You know that one? Um, you know, I don't. I, I there was a couple of songs I didn't recognize, but maybe one of them was that one. That's somebody, a great I, I song. Saw, You'd probably recognize it. Is it? Recon- yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, he sang. He sang. Uh, he opened with. Uh, he opened with a yes cover. He sang um, America. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> well, you know, yes on their. Sec- I think their second album they they did a they they released. Oh the, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, yes covered him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I yeah. said. Yeah. said to yeah. Jonathan. I said, hey, look, he's covering yes, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he opened with America, and then and then of course as soon as the song's over, he apologized for uh, insult the insults that were hurled at, at Prime Minister Trudeau and Canadians in general. You know, yeah, yeah. on the weekend well, that was pretty funny. My wife was telling me that um, Seth Meyers on on his TV show last night said insulting Canadians is like insult, insulting a Labrador Retriever. <laughs> they just look at you with <laughs> with sad eyes. And say, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was funny when he was when he was getting the words out for his apology. You know, he said what he had to say. I forgot, you know, sorry for America and, you know, we, we none of us feel that way and kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I said to Jonathan, like, you could have just said sorry. Right. <laughs> were people in the audience saying sorry to him because he had to say sorry? They were probably thinking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, of course, he got a huge, huge round of applause for that, of course, right? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, no, it was good. Like, it was good. I'm going to see Robert Plant on Friday, so. Oh, you are? Okay. That's another one that's been coming around that I've, that I've been tempted to go see. Yeah, it's funny. 
Yeah, I saw him play Massey Hall two tours ago. It's, it's it, like it like you literally have to jump on the tickets. Well, I mean, I guess it's not so much that way now. Now I guess it's kind of mellowing out. But because it was yeah. sort of like when he came around three years ago, it was like last chance to see kind of thing, right? Or that's how it felt, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, well, Paul, Paul Simon's seventy-seven years old, right? So yeah, that pretty yeah. much is last chance to see, right? But um, yeah, so Robert Robert Plant, and he's you know like he played. He was in Led Zeppelin in his in his twenties, like late twenties, right? Yeah. So yeah. and it's been like. 30 years right so every second song he played when i saw him last time was was a zeppelin or sorry been, not 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 a song that zeppelin covered <laughs> let's let's it, put it, it that right, him, right? it's been 40 years not 30 40 years, years since yeah 79 <laughs> right 79 was the last year that they played together because when john bonham died yeah something like that yeah yeah a friend of mine saw that concert in nebworth he was over he was in england just sporting around you know being a hippie bum and before mm. university and yeah he saw that he went and saw that show yeah i'm going to see jackson brown in a couple of weeks oh yeah yeah oh. he's coming through here too I think. Yeah, and, and mainly because it's it's the last chance I'll ever get to see him. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's, yeah. He's the guy. He's the guy that taught Glenn Fry to write music, right? So right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Another, and another, another American too. I want to. I want to go see him. Yeah, true. I saw. Did I see something? Yeah, I think he's coming here too. Mm-hmm. I think he's coming just up to the Danforth Music Hall, just around the corner from me. Right. It's a little mm-hmm. tiny, uh, little tiny theater. Like you know, I don't think it. I don't think it seats a hundred a thousand people. Like, oh wow. That small. Yeah. No, yeah. that would be a cool place to go see him. And it's an old theater style place. Right. You know. Sort of yeah, thing. he's he's playing. Uh, he's doing shows in San Francisco and and Santa Cruz, and in San Francisco, he's playing at the Great American Music Hall, which is a right. theater where the Grateful Dead used to play all the time back before they got really big. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ry Cooter, June twenty sixth, Massey Hall. Oh, oh, he's playing Massey Hall. Okay, okay. Oh, that's well, right. That's and right. Then the next night in Ottawa, Center Point Theaters. Right. And let's see. Wait, a minute, where? Wait. Oh, did I miss the show? <gasps> no. I think I, I think it already happened. Damn it. Oh man, I was too busy WWDCing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Damn, I wanted to go to that show. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. well, welcome to the More Than Prog Rock uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talk about blues and folk We're rock, you know, right classic through. music, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, disco sometimes, with, if Tammy's on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you missed it last week. We were talking about, I was bad-mouthing disco again, and Tammy just sort of, you know, pipes up from the corner she going, I like disco. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I did Boodoo. not uh, stay for panic at the disco. At, at no, the you didn't. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, I, I went to was the it, bash okay. and had a couple of beers, had some food. Yeah, they hadn't come on yet, and yeah, I was like, you know, I'm not gonna really like them anyway. <laughs> so I went. Well, home. do you even do you even know what their music is? No, I mean, like, I don't. Oh, I don't. Do you? I mean, they had some pretty bad bands when I was. I mean, the year that I went home early. Okay, the year I went, the first year I went to WWC was 2010, right? And yeah, and uh, I didn't know about the bash and and all that kind of stuff. So I was I was like a fool. I booked my a midnight a red eye flight on Thursday because I'm thinking like, uh-huh. oh. I'm a busy guy. I got to go back to work and stuff, right? So, yeah. and I figured four days was long enough. I can't remember if Carol came and we did San Francisco and stuff the weekend before or, or whatever. And then, so I planned on going home on on Thursday night. And then it turned out that Buzz Aldrin was the keynote speaker, the closing keynote speaker. Oh, really? And and so I I even checked with the airline. They wanted like a thousand dollars to change my flight. I'm like, oh man, I almost paid the thousand dollars. Let's put it that way. But OK Go was the band that played that that week that year, right? Who were they? I don't, I don't know who they are. Oh. <laughs> well, let's put it. 
with this. Well, they they they're interesting. They're an interesting band. They're sort of an art rock band. They do they do like their in, their videos are really cool, kind of cool. Um, what do they do? They did I think they did an um they did a video with exercise exercise equipment, treadmills, and stuff like that. They had them across like if you were looking f- like down a long gym, they had them sort of perpendicular to the camera, mm-hmm. and so they were they were and they were kind of singing and walking across them. And, and as they were walking across, oh, they, they were getting, I, I remember that video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, that's okay, go right. And, I don't and they remember do the music of, at all, but I remember the video. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like um, Rube Goldberg kind of you know bish bang smash bang bish yeah. bang smash bang kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that's a simple way to explain it. And the last the last video I saw of them was they're driving a car with the four of them in the car and, and instruments and stuff. And uh, as they were driving the car, they had like you know pieces of metal jutting out from the side of the car, and they were knocking over um, you know I don't know like oil barrels or whatever like or like kind of like running down the fence with like a stick kind of thing but all these sort of effects to make the sounds that are in the in the in the the song right so they were kind of using a car to sort of you know like again like a Rube Gober kind of thing kind of knock all the the things over dominoes kind of thing and have those dominoes making noises kind of thing you know mm-hmm. I'll have to find a link for that in the show notes of course now <laughs> but anyway so I mean that was that was cool so I learned like you know to, to stick it out till at least the at least the Friday and and I think uh, one year Carol came and we spent the weekend and sort of tootled around. I think we went down to oh, what's the place with the M south of you? Monterey. Uh, Monterey. Yeah, I went down to Monterey nice. and checked that out. And that's I, I think it's the time I thought I was in San Jose, but I was actually across the bay from San Jose where the where the Midway is. You know, the old wooden roller coaster place, Santa Cruz, maybe. Oh, Santa Cruz. That's not across the bay. That's across the mountains on the on the ocean. Down. We went down the the. I guess is it the number one that goes along the coast? Yep. Yeah, we went to Moon Bay. Is there Moon Bay there? Yeah, is that Moon right? Bay. Yeah, half movie. Yeah, we stopped there and took some pictures and looked at the sand and stuff like yeah. that. And but that's Carol all on, likes water. That's all on the same side of the bay, the main bay from. Oh, the San bay. Jose. Okay, okay, okay. So the bay is the, the bay. oh yeah, yeah. the San, the bay is the San Francisco Bay. Right, but that's on like if I'm if I'm looking at the map, if I'm looking at a map, that's to the west of the Bay Area. Is that right? No, no, no. So the bay is the middle of the Bay Area, the center of the the Bay Area. The Bay Area goes okay, around. Well, what's on the, the other side? What's in is that's the Pacific over so there. So on the west side, you get San Francisco is there. There's a peninsula that yeah. where and San Francisco is the top of the peninsula. Right. So, yes. Yes. So if then if you go, east, I thought the bay separated San Francisco from Oakland. It does. It does. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Whatever's on the other side there. Maybe it wasn't Half Moon Bay. The Half Moon Bay is on the ocean. Yes. Okay. That is, that is sort of south of San Francisco, but on the west side on the on the coast. Yeah. Right. And if you yeah, go yeah, further yeah. south than that, you get to Santa Cruz. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was Santa Cruz, and then south of that is Monterey. Monterey. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But okay. okay yeah, yeah, but yeah. there's also the Monterey Bay, and yes, it's true. Yeah. That Santa Cruz is across the Monterey Bay from Monterey. Okay, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. not really a bay because it's it's part of the ocean. Yeah. It's just it, it, Monterey kind of hooks out, so they call it a bay. Okay, yeah, because we because what we did with that, that day was we kind of drove down down the highway. We stopped at, at the Half Moon Bay and sort of stuck our feet in the water. Carol yeah. Carol's a real she loves water. Like we used to live and we lived in in Oakville together. Um, we lived right down by the water, down by the Lake Ontario, and she would go down and just listen to the water. It's very relaxing oh, nice. for yeah. her, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so anytime well, we have a chance, Santa Barbara used to like to do that too. It's nice down there. Yeah. So when I was when I'm at San Francisco, when I'm at WWDC or at Seabold Conference or whatever conference I'm at, she'll go and you know roll up her jeans and walk through the water while I'm doing that during the day kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so that was our, our I think it was our first time we went down in the Bay Area, went down to Monterey and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last time we were there, she let me go and hang out at the uh, Apple parking lot at like nine o'clock at night and just sort of look at the building and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, she found out you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eh? <laughs> but uh, the uh, 
the um, the funny thing is that uh, uh, she's a she's a fabric shopper. She's always looking for fabric all over. The- I mean, we we even went fabric shopping when we were in Europe at, at Paris and stuff. That we stopped at all the fabric places. That's like you know, I get to look at computers. She gets to look at fabric, right? Yeah. And brings home copious amounts. Anyway, so there's a fabric store in Cupertino that she found, <laughs> and we went and spent a couple of hours there. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You gotta gotta keep gotta keep them happy. Yep. Yep. All right. Should we put on a show? I, I thought that was the show. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the after show. That's the after that's show. That's the after. The, the before the after show. All right. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Oh, so I, I haven't missed the Rykuder show, which is good. Oh, good. Okay, that's July good. That's 19th the good news. And 20th, but it's sold out. I'll have to go scalp ticket. I guess. Well, see, uh, yeah. See, this is. A, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So I, the other thing too is I'm going to. Hey, if you want to come up to Toronto and see Doobie Brothers and and uh, Steely Dan, let me know because I'm going. Car- Carol and I are going to. Um, this will be like my eighth time seeing Steely Dan. Carol and I are going to down down east, and so I've got these two tickets that I bought like six months ago, right? And they're really good seats, and I can't find anybody to buy it, take them. But anybody wants the tickets, let me know. You know, up and up at um, at the Budweiser Theater here in Toronto, mm-hmm. July second, I think. Anyway. I saw Steely right. Dan not too long before uh, Warren. Uh, what's what's his last name? Warren Becker. Walter Becker. Walter Becker. Walter, yeah, before he died. It's yeah. a great, great yeah. show. I don't know how it'll be without him, but uh, I'm sure it'll still be good. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like they, in terms of touring, they played this the Canadian National Exhibition or a CNE Grandstand back in the '70s when when the first album came out, Can't Buy a Thrill, right? And I don't think they toured very much, if ever, since because they were sort of a studio band, right? And um, so when they first came around, you know, Carol Carol's a huge Steely Dan fan from a different era than I am too which is kind of funny I'm an Asia fan she's more gaucho kind of thing mm-hmm. but um, uh, so they came when they announced they were coming back we like immediately got tickets and you know and saw them and then uh, I, don't, I don't think she actually went to that show now that I think about it and then uh, they came I mean one we got like you know row G for one show mm-hmm. like you could see the spit coming out of Donald Fagan's mouth when he was singing kind of mm-hmm. thing like that we were that close that was a great show too but uh, yeah I've seen him I've only I have, I've had to miss them twice with tickets in hand kind of thing but this is a nice second time mm. yeah well but again that like you know it, i mean the band is actually donald fagan and i and i you know i hate to tell carol this but the, he she likes his nightfly solo album and he's doing some bunch of songs from that on this tour as well so yeah and and i guess small world uh or you know think uh, you know goes around comes around kind of thing the very first concert carol and i ever went and saw was the doobie brothers oh wow yeah weird day eh? yeah long time ago <laughs> so i wonder if uh no okay now i'm drawing a blank on his name who's the guy who was in both both bands oh yeah, yeah right uh the guy with the mustache right? yeah yeah kind of a core part of both bands yeah oh yeah i totally wow. forgot about brain him. brain freeze on both our parts oh I'm, I'm i'm not so good on on doobie brother names i mean there was a so the year i saw them was when the guy who wrote china grove and all that kind of stuff came back they were really fast guitar player mm. fast rhythm guy so here we are going to go to doobie brothers yeah I'm wikipedia, on wikipedia page right now mutt i think mutt michael mcdonald like oh oh him michael mcdonald yeah 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 yep. oh, he was in both right he yeah. was in both yeah so I wonder I if he'll some, play with both. Tom Johnson is the guy that came back. Uh, okay. That's the guy I'm thinking of. And Patrick Simmons. Hmm. I wasn't thinking of Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald was in Steely Dan? Yeah. Really? Yep. Oh, huh. Or he wrote songs for them or played with them? Let's let's go to the Wikipedia page and find out. In I've seen him a number of times, McDonald too. McDonald became a member of Steely Dan's touring band, singing lead and background vocals. He also became one know. of the many in-studio adjunct members of the band, providing backing vocals on tracks for 1975's Katie Lied. He appeared on subsequent Steely Dan recordings, okay. including... 76 is the Royal Scam and 77's Asia. He also oh, really? played keyboards and some uh, Steely Dan tracks. Wow. He continued to provide backing vocals through their 1980 release, Gaucho. Oh, and in 2006, he, he joined the band Summer Tour, both as an opening act and part of the band. So I bet you he 
he'll play with both. Maybe, maybe. So I saw um, I saw them tour as the Boys of Summer a few years ago, right? And hmm. so Michael McDonald came out and Donald Fagan, and they all took turns like doing sets, and then they came out and played together. So the I, I third that was the, the tour that they're talking about. Well, the third one was Boss Skaggs. Oh, okay, yeah. It's called. I think they were called the Boys of Summer or the Dukes of Summer or something like that. Hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's do the show so, thing. So McDonald <laughs> sang lead vocals on "Taking It to the Streets." Uh, oh, minute, right. Yeah. Five minute. What a fool believes. Oh, these are. Oh, wait, yeah. Sorry, these are Doobie Brothers songs. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's that's yeah. that's Carol's actually favorite album, Doobie Brothers album, hmm, "Taking okay. It to the Streets." Or was it minute by minute, minute by minute? Yeah. All right. Let's. I'm more of a China about, Grove uh, and Blackwater yeah, and. Me too. Yeah. There's one other song I can't think of right now. Stop yelling at your phone, people. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.